0: First, I want to welcome all those who are here. We have visitors. Welcome them as well. We have those of you online. And welcome to Sunday mornings, New Hope Chapel's praise and worship service. You know, I, well, I guess I love the song set because it reminded me of two things. First, there was a song that talked about how we should be like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. And Kathy brought to my attention this past week that there's, I don't know whether it was a song or a poem or something, but she was talking to me about how we become so Christ-like that at one point when Jesus looks at us, what does he see? He sees himself. And I thought that was a good way of looking at it. He sees himself. Well, let's pray first. Let's pray. And so dear Lord, Your glory is pouring forth from the heavens. And we on earth receive the good news with great joy. You know, the promise is sure and true that you, Jesus, have come to save and to show us the best way to serve our God. You showed that by serving others and caring for others, we truly serve God. And so this morning, to those here in attendance, let us prepare ourselves for joyful service. My prayer is that the Lord will make us ready for a great service in His name. Amen. Well, you know, the, there was one particular song that I really liked, and it was the last one. It's the title is "Serve One Another in Love," and it just it, it strikes me because it that confirms the message of my sermon. And the reality is that. The title of my sermon this morning is My Sweet Spot. And I know there was at least one brother this morning who looked at me and he said, Was this a mistake? Is that really your sermon title? I said, Yes. I don't know how Carolyn came up with it, but I'll try to follow up on her suggestion. (laughs) My Sweet Spot is the title. My text is 1 Peter 4 7 through 11. Of course, that's printed in your handout, it's printed in the NIV together with the sermon outline for your easy reference. Now, I want to say just a quick word that I... It's my age, I guess. I was going to say about uh, at least one of our visitors. You know, Cindy Roderick was here the week before and she spent some time with us. And her mom passed away two weeks ago. They're back to uh, Florida now. And then this past week, Phyllis Penhallow's mother passed away and I have to say that both gave personal inspiration of the knowledge and the assurance that they were both with Christ. And they were both kind of interesting, and had a background in Catholicism. So when I was called, at least for the first one, I said, oh, don't worry, I can still speak Catholic. <laughs> but I didn't have to. I just mentioned the name of Jesus. And there was a response. So our, our love's with you, Phyllis, and your family. And uh, we are ever, ever optimistic that it's all in a good place. Amen. Well, walk with me through Psalm 1914, as I always do. And so, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. You know, it was back in the day when we were actually sending astronauts to the moon. And one of the astronauts was being interviewed and just before he left, and he was asked this question After you get to the moon and do what you're supposed to do, how are you going to leave the moon? And he replied, Well, we'll get into our lunar module. Fire the rockets and the engines will lift us up from the face of the moon and bring us back. Then the reporter asked the question that I would have asked. What if the rocket doesn't ignite? What if the engine doesn't work? How much time will you have left? And he said, we will have about six hours of life support in the lunar module. And then the reporter asked what will you be doing during those last six hours? And he said, I will be working like crazy on that rocket and on that engine. Good answer. There is one thing that we all know for certain, and that is this. This life does come to an end. And the clock is ticking for all of us, and one day that clock will stop. And if you're a believer... You understand that the end will come in one of two ways. Either we are going to die and go to be with Jesus, or Jesus is going to come for us. None of us are going to be here forever, or in the grand scheme of things, <clears throat> not for very long. So, in a real sense, we were all in the situation that that astronaut could have been in. And what he, what he said is exactly what we should do knowing that our time is short and that we're not going to be here forever. You know, it's actually the answer that we should give to determine if we are living what I'm calling a cross-shaped life. You know, as a church, we believe in this mission statement. And that is... We are to point people to Jesus, inspiring them to live the cross shaped life. And I think most anyone can figure out roughly what that means. We are primarily to introduce Jesus to people who don't know him so that they can know the Jesus that can transform their lives by the power of the gospel. And the gospel is quite simple. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and he was raised from the dead and wants to come and live within us and take control of us so that we might be all that he wants us to be. All that he wants us to be is what is involved in living the cross-shaped life. See, we believe that a disciple of Jesus should look like a disciple and live like a disciple, We'll call that the cross shaped life. And Jesus lived his entire life under the shadow of the cross, knowing he was going to die for us. And we should be living our life under the shadow of the cross and be determined to live for him. And so we're dealing with the question which comes from something that Jesus said, and later one of his disciples wrote. And the question is Am I in my sweet spot? If you know anything about sports, or if you are involved in business, you understand the importance of finding your sweet spot. Now many of you know that I love, I'm obsessed with golf. And I learned early on that the sweet spot is the most efficient part of the golf club face. If you want to hit the ball, it's maximum distance. You can swing the club in the same way and with the same speed, but a shot that hits the sweet spot will go farther than the shot that misses it. And even more importantly, the sweet spot not only sends the ball farther, it sends the ball straighter because the club doesn't vibrate or twist on a sweet spot hit. So the ball launches on a straighter path. Backspin is maximized which increases the distance. And sight spin is minimized, which increases the accuracy. Now, the most successful companies are those who, are found, who have found what we call the strategic sweet spot. When you are in a crowded market competing, that will set them apart and give them a distinct advantage over the competition. Apple, Samsung, Amazon, Among other companies are so successful because they have found their strategic sweet spot. They know their wheelhouse. They know the the core strengths that they have, and and they use those to a maximum advantage to give them the greatest impact possible. But life is the same way. You will maximize your fulfillment in life, your enjoyment of life, and your impact with life when and if you find your sweet spot Biblically speaking, the sweet spot is defined in one word, serving. Jesus was in his sweet spot when he was serving. In fact, he plainly stated in Mark 10.45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now when when, when Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding, Or he fed 5,000 men together with women and children by turning a few loaves and fish into a banquet. Or by sitting down on the dirt and letting little children come up and play with him. Or by stopping everything he was doing because he wanted to minister to one woman that was having a physical illness. Or by dying on the cross. He was at that moment in his sweet spot serving others. And what Jesus came to earth to do, and that is to serve, he has left us on earth to do. And he expects us to do that in the interim period before we either pass or he comes for us. We know that because of his disciples and what they wrote. First, considering your outline, 1 Peter chapter 4. And here Peter is giving words of instructions to a church and specifically telling them what they need to do in the time they have left, either before they go with Jesus or Jesus comes back to them. And here's what he said, beginning chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. And he states, The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray, Above all, love each other deeply." because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. He's talking here about the second coming of Jesus, and he plainly says that until Jesus comes, we are to be watching for his coming, and we are to be waiting for his coming. And then in verse 10, he tells us we should be working until his coming. Here's what he says. Each of you, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In that one statement, every one of us finds our sweet spot. The cross-shaped life is a life of serving others. And if you want to know whether you are in your sweet spot, ask yourself three questions. Where am I serving Who am I serving? When am I serving? So I want to share with you this morning three reasons why every single follower of Jesus should have an answer for all three of those questions. Consider first in your outline, God expects us to serve. Listen to the first part of this verse 10 again. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received To serve others. And the word each also means every. You know, by the way, as a side note, my dad just hated it when people would use the phrase you hear so often. And that is, each and every one. Each and every one should do this. Each and every one else. In a way, I couldn't blame him. Because it is a redundancy. Everyone means each one. And each one means everyone. Well, the ultimate point is, this is all inclusive. No one gets left out, and no one gets left behind. Each of us, every one of us, is expected to serve. You know, frankly, we never get a vacation from this service. You may have a 9-to-5 job in your lay life, but serving God is not a 9-to-5 proposition. It's 24-7. And by the way, serving is not just what you do. A servant is what you are when you become a follower of Jesus. Serving is not an action, it is an attitude. You should have serving hands because you have a servant's heart. You know, when Peter said this, he didn't know what the particular gifts and the abilities are were of the people in the church. He had no idea what a person could do or what, or what that other person could do or what this person's passion was or what this person's interest was. He just said, each of you should be serving others. You know, that ought to tell all of us something. The greatest ability in life is availability. Availability. Because without availability, any ability is just wasted ability. God can use anybody who is available. He cannot use anyone who is not available. And if you understand how Jesus served you by not just coming to earth and living life, but going to the cross and dying, then I think you will better understand that serving is not just what you have to do or what you do. It's serving is what you get to do and what you should want to do. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. You know, Jesus doesn't just expect you to serve. He expects you to serve others. He expects you to serve the church. And not only does he look to see what you do, but but how you do it. We should not only want to serve others, but we should want to do it gladly, willingly, with joy in our hearts. You know remember Jesus didn't die on the cross for his sins. He died on the cross for ours. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And so the cross-shaped life is the life of service, and God expects me and he expects you to serve joyfully and gladly. Second in your outline, consider that God equips us to serve. See, God will never ask you to do anything without giving you the power and the equipment to do it. And that is even true in serving. And listen again to what he has given us. Verse 10 Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Once again, notice every one of us has a gift. You know, under God's Christmas tree of spiritual gifts, every one of us received a gift-wrapped package in our name. Just as a gift is to be unwrapped and used, so is our spiritual gift. We're all different. We all have different interests, different passions, different skills, different abilities, and different gifts. And there is a reason for that. God made you the way you are so you could be what he wants you to be and do in serving others. And we all have a spiritual job, a spiritual job description. And we have all been given the gifts and the abilities needed to fulfill that description. You know, one of the greatest problems that churches face is the uh, issue of unwrapped gifts that have never been opened. It aren't being used. I think that too many people are under the impression that not using the gifts that God has given them, they think that not serving and not using is not a problem. But it really is. I want you to listen to these words of, of a great Christian. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Most of you haven't heard of him. He was killed by the Nazis for speaking out against Hitler and standing up for the church. And this is what he said quote, I'll read it. In a Christian community, everything depends on whether each individual is an indispensable link in the chain. The chain is unbreakable only when even the smallest link holds tightly with the others. A community which allows to exist within itself members who do nothing will be destroyed by them. Thus, it's a good idea that all members receive a definite task to perform for the community so that they may know in times of doubt that they too are not useless and incapable of doing anything. Every Christian community must know that not only do the weak need, to need the strong, but also the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak... Is the death of the community. In other words, everybody needs to serve. And yes, at some point, everybody needs to be served. Let me just say I couldn't do what I'm doing right now. And some of you couldn't be doing what you're doing right now if this kind of service wasn't going on. And let me explain. But first, Peter continues to say in verse 11, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, the reason why I am exercising my speaking gift is because others right now are exercising their serving gifts. So I want to thank and acknowledge before God right now, thanking for the people that are running the sound, the lights, the cameras. And I'm thankful for the ushers and the greeters. And some of you are thankful for the fact that someone is taking care of your children and for those who help when it's raining or snowing to get people in. I am in my sweet spot because others... Are in theirs, I'm using my gift while others are using theirs, and God has equipped us all with a gift. Third, considering your outline, God encourages us to serve. I want you to notice the last part of this verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards. We are to serve as faithful stewards. Do you know what a steward is? Many of you do. A steward is a manager. It's someone who takes care of whatever has been given to him and certainly takes care of that which has been entrusted to him. God has given us spiritual gifts. One day we will be held to account on how we use those gifts or if we use them at all. And God has promised every single one of us who are faithful and are serving that we will be rewarded. Now I want you to listen to this super inspiring verse of scripture which always blesses me every time I read it. Hebrews 6.10 Hebrews 6.10 God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. You may think service is not a big deal, particularly if you are thinking of a menial thing like changing diapers in the nursery or just handing out a worship guide as people walk into the sanctuary or giving food at our pantry. When God sees it, God doesn't forget it, God will remember it, and God will reward it. Now I want you to think about this next statement. Most of what we do in life really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter today, and it won't matter tomorrow. It won't matter next week, it won't matter next year, it won't matter next decade. It won't matter after you're long gone. But any service you give to God, and any service you give for Jesus to others, will matter for all eternity. I want to give you one more verse of scripture. It reads like this. 1 Corinthians 15.58. 1 Corinthians 15.58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Did you hear the words? is not in vain. There is no work for God that is insignificant and unimportant. Well, as I just told you, it is the work we think is insignificant that makes the work possible that we think is significant. But the fact of the matter is, God thinks it's all significant. Let me throw out these last three questions, set of questions for you can't answer them. Come, we will help you to do so. What is my gift? Where am I using it? Who am I serving? Well, everyone knows that the word apple is not just a fruit. It refers to one of the most successful companies in the history of this world. And whether you are an employee or a customer, the treatment that you get from Apple is almost unrivaled by almost any other company. If you ever go to work for Apple, it doesn't matter whether you go to work in IT or sweeping floors. You are given a note which encourages you to swim in the deep end and to do something big. Listen, here is how the actual note reads. Quote, There's work And there's your life's work. The kind of work that has your fingerprints all over it. The kind of work that you'd never compromise on. That you'd sacrifice a weekend for. You can do that kind of work at Apple. People don't come here to play it safe. They come here to swim in the deep end. They want their work to add up to something. Something big. Something that couldn't happen anywhere else. Welcome to Apple. I tip my hat. Apple for that inspiration. But one day, Apple will be in the dustbin of history. (laughs) One day, Apple will be the ashes of everything this world has to offer. But in the church, we don't just do something big, you do something bigger than you could do anywhere else. In the church, when you do something that not only cannot happen anywhere else, you do something that has an eternal impact in transforming lives forever. And when you are doing that, you are in your sweet spot. Amen? Amen. Service is over. Many of you are involved in ministry. Some of you are involved in several ministries. You're advancing the mission of this assembly. If you're not, step back. Evaluate your gift and your availability and then step forward. Amen? See you all next week.